0: So, brothers and sisters, this morning we start in on Romans 8. Romans chapter 8 is, um, uh, has been called uh, the greatest chapter uh, in all of God's Word, the Bible. Uh, and, I, and I think it deserves that designation um, because it is so filled with victory and comfort for the struggling Christian. Romans 7 we just came through speaks of the struggle of the Christian life. When when we want to do right, evil lies close at hand, Paul says. Uh, We delight in the law of God, in our inner being. Um, But we see in our members another law waging war against the law of our mind and making us captive to the law of sin that dwells in our members. The law of sin, that's a, that's a phrase, as, as we saw, that speaks to the ownership even of Satan over our flesh. Uh, but Romans 8 comes along with victory and comfort for sinners who want no longer to be sinners. Romans 8 rings with victory and comfort for believers in Christ as it proclaims that there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, Romans 8 rings with victory and comfort. And, uh, and it proclaims what God has done in Christ for um, there to be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It would, it would be one thing if it said uh, there is no condemnation if you do this or you do that or you do the next thing. It does not say that. Instead, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 rings with victory and and comfort um, as it promises the resurrection. Uh, Verse 11, "If, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Uh, Romans 8 rings with victory and comfort as it teaches us our adoption uh, in Christ. Verse 15 proclaims, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So we are no longer condemned, but, but not just by some... Uh, uh, insignificant or not uh, not unto some insignificant common life. No, we are children of God. Uh, we are members of the royal family. Speaking personally, I I get so tired of hearing about the British royal family. I think who really cares? <laughs> uh, take it up as your hobby if you want. But but whatever happened to the American Revolution? Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and don't we have our own royal family? The Hollywood's isn't Hollywood our royal family and, and the political elite? Um, but Christians should think differently. Uh, and that's where the message will end up, thinking differently. We are those not condemned. We are those forgiven and even counted righteous and even adopted as children of God even more Romans 8 rings with victory and comfort for the believer as it uh, as it teaches us that even our suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us so that we can persevere in faith no matter what happens because if God is for us who can be against us that's in in Romans 8 you probably know and because if God does not condemn us who else really is there to condemn us so that by the end of Romans 8 we are more than conquerors because neither death nor life nor uh, angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the, um, the great love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord so so this is just a preview Uh, Starting in on Romans 8, just a preview, a quick initial summary of what is coming in Romans 8. In in the end, the point is not that Romans 8 teaches us things that are only taught here in Scripture. It's just that Romans 8 has this way of, 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 of compiling the list of blessings that are ours by God's grace in Christ, so that the Lord willing... We are scheduled for a number of sermons now that will teach and proclaim the the good news of our salvation in the most glorious of terms. But it all starts with this in verse 1, the verdict of grace, the verdict of grace. Verse 1 reads, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here is perhaps the most glorious proclamation of the gospel and not the gospel in terms of what God has done in the past uh, by the birth and the life and the suffering and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the gospel in, in one respect, what God has done for us and not the gospel in terms of what God has promised has promised us to receive in the future, in the last great day, and for all for all eternity. That's the gospel in terms of what will be. But here is the gospel in terms of right now, right this very moment. Yes, it is based upon the past, the good news of the birth and the life and the suffering and the death and, re- and the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. And yes, it, it brings us to the to the promise of what will be. In the last great day and, and for all eternity. But the proclamation right here and now. Is this. That we might hear it and rejoice. There is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. And this really is an intentionally present statement. In other words, Paul is emphasizing the present Emphasizing what is here and now. At the end of Romans 7, Paul was in the future, if you remember. In Romans 7, he is, he is lamenting and, and grieving his struggle with sin. And he concludes with the confession, what a, what a wretched man I am. And he concludes with the question, who will, future, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he concludes with the answer that that he already knows as he asks the question. He says, thanks be to God. God will deliver me from this body of death through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And yet Paul's last statement in Romans 7 brings him back down to earth, we might say. Back to the present reality of the struggle with sin in the Christian life. So then, he writes, we can almost hear it with a sigh. So then, until I am delivered from this body of death, for now, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. I'm not in heaven yet, and my struggle must continue in the present we can almost see the glory on the face of, of, of Paul on, on, on Paul's face as he writes, "Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. What a day that will be when I am delivered, when I am when raised up to a body free of sin. But then it's Monday morning again. But then Paul must return to his present, state and reality as he confesses again. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. But the good news is, is not all in the future. There is much in the present to lament. There is a great struggle in the Christian life, a struggle by which we too often fall and fail. But nevertheless, even now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word now in Romans 8 verse 1 is important and, 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 and it's hugely important. And this is the connection that we must understand. That the reason we have uh, such a sure hope of heaven is because even now we are forgiven And as Paul has made clear already in Romans, even now we share in the righteousness of Christ. Paul even uses the word therefore to say there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Paul is connecting two things to the declaration of no condemnation. First, the fact that we are struggling with sin. We struggle with sin. Therefore, there is no condemnation. Unbelievers don't struggle with sin. Believers in Christ struggle with sin. So the struggle itself, can we see, is evidence of faith. And faith means the credit of righteousness. So that, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Second, by the fact that we are looking forward to that day when we are delivered from this body of death. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And can we see how Paul has reversed the order? And I should say, can we see how God, how the gospel, reverses the order? It's unbelief that says, as soon as I get my act together, then I will be sure of heaven. No, the the only true progress you will make in your sanctification is by faith and a faith by which you are sure of your salvation, not because you've gotten your act together, not because you've made some undetermined amount of progress in your sanctification, but sure of your salvation as you have received it full and free. Someone says, well, what if I sin? No, it's not what if you sin, because you will. You will, even as a believer in Christ, sin. Believing in Christ doesn't exempt you from the struggle with temptation and sin. Instead, believing in Christ frees you from the condemnation of your sin. This is so important for us to to revisit on some regular basis preferably every Sunday, every Lord's Day, because there are Roman Catholic and Protestant teachers alike who will re-reverse the order. Most recently has been a, a Reformed preacher and teacher who wants to say that there's a difference between justification and salvation. So according to him, you can be justified. You you, you might be righteous by faith now, but in the end you might not be saved you might be lost in the end how lost because you because you were justified but you didn't produce enough good works how how much good works is enough in order to be sure and and in order to be saved in the end well he he doesn't tell us that he doesn't say because he doesn't know beware of any teacher who says Oh, don't be too sure of your salvation. You've got work to do. Well, granted, we, we all have work to do. The Christian life will always be a struggle. But the struggle itself is evidence of faith as we struggle with our trust in Christ for our salvation. We don't trust, we don't just trust in Christ for our justification, that is for our righteousness now, We trust in Christ for all of it. And here's the teaching of God's word to to prove it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All you have to do is think about it. Are we called to be eager? Or I should say, why are we called to be eager for the return of Christ? Why be eager for the return of Christ if we always have work left to do in order to be saved? The teaching of God's word is clear. We are justified by faith. We are saved by faith. We live by faith. We we are sanctified by faith. And we can only long for the day when we will be free of sin. But all of this is promised to us by faith. Believe. Believe. In the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. But next for our victory and comfort is this. The spirit of life. Verse 2 reads, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. First of all, the word for. Here Paul is explaining why there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For because the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So here's a a place in scripture where we see that uh, sometimes the law is gospel. Yes, we make that very important distinction between law and gospel. We do so when law means the commands of God that we must do. We read that in Ezekiel chapter 20. Do this and you will live. That's law in terms of the commands of God and what we must do. And when, and when gospel means the work of God, that he has done for us, then we make that distinction between law and gospel. But even the work of God that he has done in Christ becomes law when the work of God turns into a decree of God. When God issues the commands, you shall not murder, you shall not uh, commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, this is the law of God and it's bad news for sinners because the law in the form of commands only serves to define sin. Remember all this? The law defines sin. It identifies sin in the life of a sinner. It convicts the sinner of sin. But what if God makes it a matter of law by issuing this decree? There is therefore Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a law. That's a decree that God has issued to our great comfort. God has decreed that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you want to hear it as God's command to his angels, His angels will carry out his judgment in the end. God is commanding his angels. You shall not kill any of those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, they are sinners, but I have redeemed them. They are sinners, but you may not kill them when you carry out my judgment on the earth because they are in Christ and they are covered by my grace. So Paul is not moving on between verses 1 and 2. He is not saying something new and different in verse 2 from what he has already written in verse 1. Here is the law of God. Hear ye, hear ye, the King has spoken, and be it known now and forever that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We must hear it in that way. It's a decree from God who is our judge. And it's the law of the spirit of life which makes it clear that it's a decree based upon what God has done. The spirit of God is always connected in Scripture with the work of God. Even from creation, the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, right before God went to work by His Word and His Spirit to create the world. Otherwise, it's the Spirit of God who came upon our Lord Jesus as He began His work. Also, it's the Spirit of God working in and through the church to carry forward the work of Christ. So it makes no sense to, we might say, spiritualize the Spirit. When Paul says that the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It leads to the very next verse where it says, For God has done, for God has done what the law, weakened by the sinful flesh, could not do. God did it. God did it by the Spirit and and, and the Spirit in Christ and and the Spirit poured out and applied by Christ. Christ. By the Spirit, God did in Christ what the law could not do. What God, by His law, never intended to do. And then Paul spells it out. The law of the Spirit of life has set us free. The law of the Spirit of life is what God has done in Jesus Christ. So don't do the thing where, where you just move on from Christ to to the Holy Spirit, as if first it was Christ and now it's the Spirit, without any connection between the two, because the law of the Spirit of life is the result of God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, says Paul, so that he might condemn sin in the flesh. Here we see that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, not because God changed, not because God decided to go easier on sin, not because grace trumps justice, but because Christ in Christ God condemns sin. Sin is not condemned in the sinner, you and I, are not condemned exactly because sin was condemned in Christ. Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's it's so impressive. It's, It's impressive in the negative sense. It's impressive that we are able to say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and yet turn around and doubt the justice of God's judgment in the end. But we can't have it both ways. We, we, we can't just say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Because what does that even mean? If, if we turn around and say, oh, but God will certainly not judge sinners for their sin. If Jesus died on the cross for my sins, if he suffered the wrath and judgment of God for my sin, then his judgment and wrath are real things. Wrath and judgment can't be real at the cross and yet be false in the end. When those who have not received Christ's payment are let to go free, apart from God's justice. But that's not what God's word teaches. God's word teaches that by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. And he did so, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now let's focus on that next. And the next point is the fulfilling of the law. The point is being made in this sermon that, that our salvation is based on legal terms. It started with a decree. The, the decree of a king or a judge That this is the very decree of God, even the gospel law of God, we might say, even the law of the spirit of life, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And here it becomes abundantly clear that in order for us to be saved, in order for there to be no condemnation, there must be a fulfilling of the law. God is no rogue king. God is no corrupt judge. He's not going to take a bribe. He's not going to shrug or wink at sin. Sin must be condemned. And the law must be fulfilled in order for God to be just and the justifier of sinners. So here's how we are saved, by God sending His own Son. And here's why God sent His own Son. So we can think in terms of, uh, of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him might not perish, but have eternal life. But how does that work? There are many who would take John 3.16 as a, as a platitude and, and ask no more. But how does that work? Th- that whoever believes in Him does not perish, but has eternal life. Is it the power of faith? Uh, is it earning some undefined salvation by the work of faith? No, it is the work of Christ that saves. Because by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Here's where we can see that the life of Christ is just as important for our salvation as As the death of Christ. Jesus, our Lord, fulfilled the law for us, which which means that in his temptation. Let's go back to the to his temptation in the wilderness by resisting the temptation of Satan in the wilderness. Jesus was serving as our savior. He was doing what he needed to do for our salvation. And he was doing it because God was doing it through him. And the three temptations of Jesus, if you remember them, were were certainly occasions in time. In other words, the temptation of Jesus in the the wilderness was real. uh, But it was also symbolic. The three temptations certainly represent the temptations he faced throughout his life and ministry. And it also represents the temptations that we face. And so not just in his wilderness temptation, but throughout his whole life, Jesus fulfilled The law of God. He obeyed the law of God perfectly. And he did so for you. And he did so for me to achieve and to earn righteousness for us. But even more beyond his life, even in his death, Jesus was fulfilling the law of God. Again, the law of God is not just do and don't. The law of God is the matter or is the matter of do and don't, so that Jesus did and didn't, doing so for us. But the law of God, as the decree of God, is this, from the beginning, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. That is certainly a warning, but coming from God the King, it is law. And when God gave His law to His people, He said, "Do this, and you shall live. Do not do it, and you will die." And what was the result? Did even one person manage to obey the law of God and live? No, but Jesus did. And even though He did, even though He was the only man who ever lived to uh, to deserve to live and not to die. Yet he fulfilled the decree of the law that said death to the sinner. Jesus went to the cross to fulfill the law's demand for death. Our Lord and Savior died to fulfill the law in order that we might come under the law of the spirit of life. In order that we might be those for whom it is true, there is now No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so this last point, the mind of faith. Why does Paul teach us these things? Isn't isn't John 3.16 enough? Isn't it enough to say Jesus died on the cross for my sins? Well, it, it, it is enough We don't doubt the faith of a person who says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I believe in Christ. I will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So why teach more than that? Why teach more than John 3.16? And why do we spend time trying to understand these things? Well, because it needs to be our reality. It, it, It needs to be the way we think. Uh, Faith needs to be what we understand at the outset. Faith needs to be what we are willing to confess confess each Lord's Day. But we must have the mind of faith each day that we live the Christian life. Paul writes this in verse 4, that we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So let these things capture our minds, because to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The outcome, or we might say the application of these things is is to change the way we think. People people think by what they believe. And, And we need to think according to the truth of the gospel. Yes, we are sinners, but we are believers in Christ. We struggle with sin. We fall and we fail. But there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we do not set our minds on the things of this world whether the bad news is coming from ourselves or, or from the world around us. We grieve it, but we must not, But it must not become our focus. Because to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And that's not easy. I'm, I'm sure you would agree. We are sinners. The world is full of sin. The wicked seem to prosper while God's people suffer. And of course, we we don't know the half of it compared to our brothers and sisters in in other lands. But this is the decree of God. Over, Over and atop everything, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's the decree of God resulting from the finished work of Christ. The righteous requirements of the law have been fulfilled in us so that we might walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Applications. Number one, you are not condemned. You are a sinner and you will be until heaven, but you are not condemned because your savior, Jesus Christ, was condemned in your place. Number two, you can look forward to the day when you will be raised up to live in a body and in a world that is free of sin. Number three, until then, stick to the struggle. Fight on. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Philippians 3, verse 14, that we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he says there further, let those of us who are mature, think this way. So number four, we need to think the gospel. We need to hear the gospel. We need to understand the gospel. We need to believe the gospel. And we need to think the gospel. We need to resist the intrusion of the world upon our thinking. Yes, we are sinners. Anyone who denies it is not a Christian. Yes, we would be condemned for our sin except for Christ and the good news of salvation in Him. And the good news is this. By the decree of God, on the basis of Christ and on the basis of what God has done for us in Him, there is, therefore, now No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the great king on high. You are the God who Commands things to be and they are. You are the God of justice, and yet, as a God of grace, you have accomplished your justice in the cross of Christ, and you have made this decree that we are not condemned as we are in Christ. Grant us to put our faith in Christ and to think according to Christ in the gospel each and every day. Help us not to be beleaguered and discouraged by our own sin or by the sin that we see in the world around us. Because Christ is our salvation. He is our Savior. And we can look to Him in faith. And indeed, we can be at peace. In His name we pray. Amen.